everybody welcome to the export i am raven x and back from vacation we got biggie aka ethan tate aka somebody who i am sure is banging the drum for the grizzlies to win tonight to push it to game seven against the warriors how you doing today ethan i'm good it's definitely grizz and seven you know what? I absolutely hope you're right. But we'll talk about that series and more um, a bit later on in the show. Of course, with the NFL, we're going to get Ethan's thoughts on what's going on with the Titans as well as break down the NFL schedule, which was released tonight. And we're going to cap off the show recapping WrestleMania Backlash. But before we get to any of that, please be sure to check out the export.net or peethexport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The Extra Port. Without further ado, let's go ahead and get this bad boy started. So as I mentioned, Ethan was on vacation last week, so we really didn't get a chance to talk much about his thoughts on the draft, or at least not do so on air. And I'm sure the biggest shock for both of us with regards to the Titans were them actually trading A.J. Brown um, following the trade to the Eagles. He talked about it, and he said that apparently the Titans offer topped out about $16 million per year with incentives that would have driven the deal up to a $20 million average. Um Brown was entering the final year of his rookie contract that would have paid him around $4 million. And the Eagles, when he got traded, gave him a four-year, $100 million extension that was $57 million guaranteed. Following the trade, he said, this wasn't my fault. I wanted to stay, but the deal they offered me was a low deal. They off- the deal they offered wasn't even $20 million a year. So, Ethan, I know how much you love A.J. Brown. Literally right before the draft, Mike Vrabel was saying long as he was a coach, the team wasn't going to trade A.J. Brown. Just what were your initial reactions, and now a couple weeks later, how are you feeling about the trade? Uh, my initial reactions was I definitely was surprised. I think that, you know, A.J. was a guy that I thought was going to be a Titan for the foreseeable future, and seeing that they traded him, I was definitely shocked. I also thought in some ways it it wasn't that surprising either because the Titans don't have a lot of cap room. And I think that they were in the mindset of like, hey, we could probably find a guy that could be similar, um, that could be really similar in play style and this Ricky, and we can bring him in. He could be cheaper and we can grow him. Also, just with the injury concerns with A.J. Brown, that probably played a huge factor as well. Yeah, I feel that. I mean, let's say push comes to shove. You know, you guys got Traylon Burks. He'll be very interested to see how he pans out. But do you think that this offense, probably more specifically Ryan Tannehill, is going to miss A.J. Brown? Yes. I think that this was one of those moments where it was like, I think A.J. was starting to reach his potential as one of the elite wide receivers in the NFL. And to see that he's not there anymore, um, and it also gives Ryan Tannehill the security blanket of having the guy that he's been accustomed to playing with for quite some time. Yeah. Because, I mean, when you look at it now, most of the receivers he got used to having are gone now. Corey Davis is gone. Now A.J. Brown. Look, even at tight ends, John o. Smith is out the door. The only consistent piece, you know, as pass catcher that's been there is – now Derrick Henry, and Derrick Henry's never been that involved in the passing game. So it's going to be very interesting. 
Um, but continuing on the conversation of receivers, we'll get to we'll keep talking about the Titans in a second. But my Ravens ended up trading Hollywood Brown to the Arizona Cardinals for the twenty third overall pick, which shocked me that we got a one out of Hollywood. But that now leaves Baltimore in the wide receiver market after not drafting one, which believe me, I'm still kind of feeling some type of way about. But Luckily for Baltimore, there's a lot of good free agent wide receivers out there, such as Jarvis Landry, Odell, uh, Julio, if he can stay healthy, emphasis on the if. But if you're Baltimore, which receiver do you think that we should go after? I think they should go after Jarvis. I mean, he's the type of guy, yes, he isn't a deep threat, but I think that because of the way that the Ravens pass the game, instead of, you don't necessarily need a deep threat in wide out. You probably need a guy that you can you can throw short passes to because Lamar isn't the most accurate of quarterback and let them get yards after the catch. Yeah, I'm in total agreement with you. I love Odell. I would not be mad to sign Odell, but I think the safest bet between the three, I would also go Jarvis. I think that when you with you with Jarvis, you know what you're getting. You're getting a consistent catcher, like you mentioned. He's not the biggest deep threat, but you know in that 10 to 15. Uh, yard range he's got you has terrific hands is a well-known playmaker and I mean we need that veteran presence in our current receiver locker room I mean it's a lot of young guys there Rashad Bateman who I think is going to take a lot of steps up but I mean behind him there's Devin DuVernay um Tylen Wallace uh James Proche and other guys who still have some work to do before they're really ready to take over and so because of that I'm gonna tell us Grant's too I would love absolutely love to have Jarvis Landry um, on my team, so hopefully that will work out. But it seems like Ryan Tannehill did not necessarily feel the same way about uh, Malik Willis. Something else I'm sure you know. The Tennessee Titans trade up in the third round to take the Liberty quarterback after a surprising draft fall. Of course, when um, Ryan Tannehill got back with the media, they asked him about it, and he made a comment uh, saying that, I have no problems with Malik. I don't. I just don't think it's my job to mentor him. But if he learns from me along the way, then that's a great thing. As you can assume, a lot of people felt some type of way about it. There's people like safety for the Saints, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, who said uh, of the comment, hope little bruh takes your job. And then there's other people like head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers, Mike Tomlin, who said about the comment, it's good when it occurs, but it's certainly not necessary. That's why we have offensive coordinators, quarterback coaches, assistant quarterback coaches, people who are employed and their sole focus is on the development of the player. I think Ryan was just stating the obvious that he is not employed to do that. He's employed to play quarterback. So Ethan, with it being your team, how do you feel about Ryan Tannehill's comments? Do you feel like they were kind of blown out of proportion or do you think they were some shade? I think that they it was some shade, and I think that Ryan, it was a comment that Ryan Tannehill should have never made, simply because we all know that he didn't have the greatest of seasons this past season, and he didn't he went out on a bad note throwing the game, still an interception against the Bengals. Granted, the interception wasn't his fault, but it's one of those things to where it's like, when you go out bad and you make a comment like that, it just kind of has to compound an effect. And it makes you look like a bad teammate and a bad leader. Yeah, I, I totally agree because I'm sure a lot of quarterbacks feel the same way with regards to their team bringing in a quarterback and they're like, mm, that's not really my job. 
that's all great and dandy but like when you say it out loud it's always going to be a bad look and as you mentioned the last that we saw of Ryan Tannehill was a bad look I mean yes he had that game ceiling interception against Cincinnati but let's also not forget that he threw three picks in that game like aside from that touchdown he threw to AJ Brown he looked incredibly mediocre and was already coming off not a great season to begin with and so now I just think that you make comments like that, and then you know the pre-draft process. People on the outside really enjoyed uh, Malik Willis. They really liked him and thought he had potential. So now people are going to be wanting you to fail. And so honestly, I just think it's a recipe for disaster for um, Ryan Tannehill for a comment that's not the worst thing that's ever been said, but it's definitely going to come back to bite him if, God forbid, Malik Willis takes his spot at some point. But – Ethan, in your opinion, do you think we see Malik Willis start a game for the Titans this year? Uh, the only way I can see him starting a game is if Ryan Tannehill gets hurt. That's fair. Um, I I don't think he starts a game. I feel like Titans fans are going to be kind of clamoring for it. If, you know, we see another bad performance from Ryan Tannehill, he throws a few picks, and then people are like, fuck, it's like, give us Malik Willis. We want Malik Willis. Because, I mean, we see it every year when teams draft, the, you know, a rookie quarterback and their quarterback's not performing. Everybody's clamoring to see the rookie, especially one that had a lot of hype around him like Malik Willis. So I don't think it's going to happen this year, but – I'm excited to see what Malik is able to do in the preseason. I think that that's really when he's going to show his ability, but I don't think he's going to immediately be rushed into the starting role. All right, so one last question, kind of looking at the draft, because something that was really interesting to me was the um, the Seattle Seahawks decided not to take a quarterback at all, despite having multiple picks. Um, following the draft, Pete Carroll talked about the team's quarterback situation and said, I don't see us making a trade for anybody, mostly referring to Jimmy Garoppolo or Baker Mayfield. He said, we're always competing. I don't see us making a trade for anybody at all. I don't see that happening. But we certainly are going to continue to be open to the chances to help our team. Meanwhile, we're going to be battling and competing our tails off. There's always that possibility that we're open to. He also added that had Drew Locke been a part of this quarterback class, a.k.a. the quarterback they traded and they got in the Russell Wilson trade, he said that he would have been the first quarterback taken in this class. So you look at their quarterback room, you got uh, you got Drew Locke, you got Geno Smith, and a third quarterback whose name I literally just forgot. So... In your opinion, do you feel like the Seahawks made the right decision not drafting a quarterback, or do you think they're right to try to ride it out with what they have? I think they're right by trying to ride it out with what they have because, like we stated numerous times before, this isn't the deepest draft for quarterbacks. This isn't the strongest draft for quarterbacks. And with that being said, like, at least in Drew, with Drew Locke, per se, He's a wild card, but he's more of a proven commodity than anything that's coming out of this draft this year. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that worst case scenario, you have a high pick for next year, You, but you use this year in this draft to build up the rest of your team. Because right now, see, I, I really like what Seattle did in the draft. Um, Of course, they're not – I don't think they're going to really do much, but, I mean, I think that they're making the right decision trying to build up their team for whoever their quarterback is, especially if they are able to keep DK Metcalf – and Tyler Lockett. Best case scenario, Drew Locke comes in and performs the way that Denver hoped he did, and you have a quarterback who is helping you win games. 
I mean, as you mentioned, I mean, there's – and it'd be one thing if there was another quarterback who went within the first two rounds, but only one quarterback went. So it's not like any of these teams were absolutely in love with any of these quarterbacks. So it's not the biggest shock to me that Seattle didn't go for one, and truthfully, I don't really blame them. But all right, now, probably the most excitement us NFL fans are going to get until the preseason – Last night, the NFL officially released the schedule for the 2022-2023 season. And I just cannot wait for football to be back. And when football comes back, we always start off with week one. So looking at the schedule for the first week of the new season, there's quite a few interesting matchups. But Ethan, in your opinion, which game are you most looking forward to? I'm looking forward to the... Honestly, I'm looking forward to the Chargers and the Raiders, especially given the um, fact that they ended the last, the, um, the playoffs the way that they did, and the fact that this is a division where both teams made significant upgrades, and I think it's going to be just, I think this is going to be the funnest division to watch in football this year. I think that's a great one. I mean... We saw how last season, the season ended for the Chargers and how terrific of that game is. And I think you and I would both agree that both teams are much better than the teams that stepped on the field week 18. So, yeah, that's going to be a great one. But I'm going to go with the low-hanging fruit. I'm excited to see Seattle versus Denver. I mean, of course, we get Russell Wilson returning to Seattle for the first time. I'm sure none of us really thought it would be as soon as it is. But, I mean, he spent 10 years with that organization, and now he's going – to be a Denver Bronco. So, of course, it's the excitement of his return. And then on top of that, this will be our first real time seeing what Russell Wilson looks like in a Broncos uniform. What is his chemistry like with his receivers? How is his defense going to play? Because, I mean, like you mentioned, the AFC West is going to be a dogfight. So, I feel like if you're the Broncos or any of the teams in that division, you got to come out strong. And I'm just – I'm excited to see what they do. I was talking to my boss about it. I was like, wow, it's all fun and it's great and it's prime time. If the Broncos lose that, I mean, win that game by anything less than two touchdowns, I'd classify that as a disappointment. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to Sunday night football. Now, for me, the game that I am most looking forward to is the Baltimore Ravens versus the Cincinnati Bengals week five. As we all know, the first two times, the last season, Baltimore got swept by the Bengals, which, you know, the LSU fan in me was kind of like, okay, it's fine, I guess. But you have to look at how we got our butts kicked. First game, Jamar Chase had over 200 receiving yards. And this is before Marlon Humphrey, our best corner, got hurt. Then on top of that, the second time we played, Joe Burrow threw for 500 yards against us. I know that we have the, well, everybody was hurt excuse, but screw that. We're not hurt this season. Everybody, by the time the season starts, who is a pivotal part of our team, is expected to be healthy, not even mentioning the other players who we just drafted or signed. So I'm excited to see what Baltimore's defense is able to do in prime time against the Bengals because I love Joe, I love Jamar, but bump all that. I want my revenge, and I want it bad. Also, like we talked about earlier, they just got AJ Brown. So now we're going to see 
what their team can look like at full strength with these new pieces. And I think it's going to be a good game against the Cowboys. I I don't – I never get excited about NFC East games. I think that the Cow, I mean, not Cowboys, the Eagles have definitely gotten better, but it's just every time I see one, I'm like, dang, I'm going to watch it, but I, I don't get excited about it. But I feel you. All right, moving on to uh, holiday games. Uh, this will be the first year that the NFL is going to have multiple games on Christmas. This year, they got three games on Christmas. And then, of course, the typical Thanksgiving slot of three games. So, Ethan, of the holiday games this year, which one are you most looking forward to? We got some pretty interesting ones. Um, I'm going to say the, the Rams versus the Broncos. Russell Wilson going up against the, um, his old division rival Rams. With this new team, the Broncos, and it's going to be the um, yeah, I think it's just gonna be one of those hard fought, probably high scoring games because I think that the Rams, yes, they still have a really good defense. I I still think that they're capable of getting scored on, and I think with the receivers that Russell's gonna have in Denver, he's gonna get it done, and yeah. I feel you. Um, I'm in total agreement with you. I think that while, like I said, there are some really interesting ones. Um, another close one that I definitely have my eyes on is Bucks and Cards. I talking about high scoring games. I could definitely see that being one. But um, yeah, no, I think that Broncos and Rams definitely has that allure to it because, as you mentioned, Russ spent several years going up against the Rams. We know Aaron Donald is a bad man. They've added pieces and going up a high powered or what we assume to be a high powered Broncos offense. Yeah, no, that's gonna be a that's gonna be a really fun game. All right, let's move to the international games. And um the one I am most looking forward to is week four. Vikings taking on the Saints in London. By this time, it's still early enough in the season where we can we're still trying to gauge some things. For example, is this going to be a new look, Kirk Cousins? For example, we got they got a new head coach, Kevin O'Connell. He's more offensive-minded, so is that going to parlay to some more success offensively? Not to mention the defensive moves uh, that they made, for example, drafting uh, Andrew Booth uh, Jr., Lewis Seen, just to name a couple. Daniil Hunter should be back. So I'm really interested to see overall to see what the Vikings are bringing to the table. And then, of course, looking on the opposite side, the Saints, they look like they now have a capable receiving core, especially if Michael Thomas gets back. Then Chris Olave is going to be on the field. And plus their defense, of course, got better by signing the Honey Badger. So overall, I think that's going to be a really exciting game. Uh, for me, I'm going to say the 49ers and the Cardinals, another divisional game. You're going to have Kyler Murray facing and going up against Joey Bosa in their defense. And we know that Jimmy G, for the time being, is the quarterback of the 49ers because he hasn't been traded. But we could very well be seeing two young quarterbacks in Trey Lance and Kyler Murray facing off. And I think it's just exciting because you you have the electric Kyler Murray versus that pass rush heavy defense. Yeah, I feel you on that. I think, no, NFC West games are always competitive. No matter the records between either team, you know it's going to be a dogfight. And I'm, I do hope it's Trey Lance. I, I think if I had to bet, I think Trey Lance will end up being their starter uh, by the time the season kicks off. But we time is a crazy thing, so we'll see. All right, moving on to the revenge game we're most looking forward to. And, I mean, this season, there's so many players who got moved this offseason that it was actually hard for me to pick this because it was 
so many options. But Ethan, in your opinion, which revenge game are you most looking forward to? Because I, I had a few in mind, but I, I was able to narrow it down to the top one. Uh, I think for me, the revenge game got to be Russ versus the Broncos. Um, he he played he played for the organization for ten years. He was the face of the organization for so long. And now that he's out and he's going to face them early in the season, I think I got to go with that one. I feel you. Um, so this is my revenge game is technically it's, uh, it's Bengals versus Falcons, but it's really Jamar Chase versus A.J. Terrell. For those of you who have been living under a rock, I'm an LSU fan. So I get excited talking about that 2019-2020 season all the time. Biggest reason is because Jamar Chase went insane against Clemson in the national championship, had 221 yards, including 162 in the first half. And which cornerback did he do it to the most? A.J. Terrell. Both of those players ended up being first-round picks, which was cute and all. But now A.J. Terrell is starting to become a more well-known cornerback. He had a really good year last year. And Jamar Chase ran in rookie of the year and clearly a bad SOB. So I'm excited to see if Jamar can do what he did to Terrell um, in, the, in college or if A.J. Terrell is going to get the better of him either way. I know for most people, they wouldn't care about a Falcons game, but this one I think is going to be great. But all right, let's go ahead and talk rookie matchups we're looking forward to. And for me, I'm actually going to stay with your Tennessee Titans. I got wide receiver Traylon Burke versus the LSU Tiger. Uh, Derek Singley, the second repping the Houston Texans. Those games take place week eight and week 16. Big reason. I mean, you and I, we talked about a lot at the top of the show. A.J. Brown is gone, and now you get a guy like uh, Traylon Burks who has a similar skill set to him and can do some of the same things. But he's not – is he going to be thrown into that wide receiver one role, or is he going to have to um, sit for a little bit behind Robert Woods? We'll find out in a couple of months. And then for Derek Singley, I think that it's pretty clear when you take somebody with a third overall pick, you're expecting them to see significant time. And looking at that cornerback group for Houston, there's nobody else you'd put in front of him. So I'm excited to see how these two guys duke it out, especially because in the end, their teams are hoping that they can become stars. Yeah, I'm actually in agreement with you because Traylon Burks, he's a guy that they drafted to replace A.J. Brown. Like you said, they have a very comparable skill set. And Darius Singley, um, he was, in a lot of people's mind, the best corner in this draft. Um, and a lot of people weren't surprised that he was the first cornerback taken, even though he had those injuries coming in, coming from out of LSU. So I think that's going to be a really, really nice matchup amongst two rookie position players. Yep, but all right, so let's talk about our team's schedules because, I mean, while it's great to see where everybody else is playing, of course we care a bit more about who we got. So, Ethan, in your opinion, what is the most interesting game on the Titans' schedule this season? Um, I'm going to say the Colts. And the reason being is just, mm-hmm. like, they've always been – right on our heels or right behind us in terms of the best team in the division and with the moves that they made getting Matt Ryan and just upgrading their team in a lot of different areas. I think that's the most interesting because I can see one of those games being a pivotal a pivotal reason why we either make or miss the playoffs this year. 
I feel you. For me, I'm going with a not-so-familiar opponent for Baltimore. I'm going to say week eight when we go against the um, Tampa Bay Buccaneers Thursday night football, and we are going to be on the road. Um, Of course, you get Lamar versus Tom Brady. That story tells itself. Interested to see how Baltimore's offense looks. But also, that's going to be capping off a pretty tough four-game stretch for the team. For example... Uh, We're going against the Cincinnati Bengals week five, week six, the Giants week seven, the uh, Browns, depending on if Deshaun Watson gets suspended tonight, it's going to be very interesting to see how we stack up against them and vice versa, and then got the Bucks. So we're going up against some teams with a lot to prove, pretty good offenses as well, and can our defense hold up? Can our defense handle a tough four-game stretch? I'm very, my eyes are definitely going to be on that matchup. Because, let's be honest, it's going to be fun. I mean, by the week eight point, I think that's when everybody really knows who, or at least for the most part, knows who people are. We're starting to see which teams are looking good, which teams look like they're falling apart. And hopefully by that point, Baltimore is able to push through and show that we're going to be contenders this year. And more importantly, stay freaking healthy. But all right, let's go ahead and brush out some bold predictions because we always got some. So starting off, do you want to go back and forth? I go, you go. How do you want to play this? It doesn't matter. We're still back and forth. All right, cool. So starting off at number three for me, I say that the Dallas Cowboys will be three and five by the time the uh, midseason rolls around. That might sound like a shot, but bear with me. Um, So looking at their schedule, to kick things off, they start with the – yeah, they start with Tampa Bay. That's going to be a hard game. Then they got the Cincinnati Bengals, another hard game. New York Giants, if the Giants can show an ounce of improvement, that could be a bit of – that's going to be competitive. Washington made moves to get better. That's going to be competitive. Then they have the Rams. I don't think they have the offensive firepower to go blow for blow for them. And then they have the Philly, who we both talked about it. I think Philly's going to be a much better team, especially looking at what they did with the draft and um, and free agency. Uh, then they got Detroit, who will, we all know Detroit is pretty feisty. And I think that they are another team that's gotten better. And they were competitive in just about every game last season. I think that they could really give the Cowboys a run for their money if they can play the cards right, not turn the ball over. And then they cap off with Chicago, which should be a win. But overall, I see more games in that first eight slate that I see them losing more than I do winning. Uh, for me, uh, my bold state, one of my bold statements is I can see the Kansas City Chiefs being the third best team in the in the, in the AFC West this year. Um, we saw that they they traded Tyreek Hill a lot, a move that a lot of people didn't see coming. But we also saw a lot of teams in their division get better. We saw the Raiders they improved their roster. We saw the Chargers improve their roster, and in my mind. Other teams in their division got better when and when the Chiefs got worse. Yeah, I feel you on that. All right, moving on to number two. I this is I I feel like it's gonna be the one where I might sound like a hater, but once again, you gotta bear with me. Um, the New York Jets will finish with a better record than the Miami Dolphins. I know everybody is talking about the Dolphins right now. Oh, they got Tyreek Hill. They got Teron Armstead. They did this. They did that. That's great. But you and I both know that if your quarterback is not right, 
it doesn't matter who you have. And, I mean, we've already seen in practice, I'm sure you saw that clip of Tua trying to throw the ball deep to Tyreek Hill and the ball was going the opposite way. Like, I think Tua is serviceable, but I don't think Tua is the type of quarterback that's really going to get them over the hump. So, you bring in a great deep threat like Tyreek Hill, that's great. But if you don't got a quarterback who can throw the ball deep, it's not going to help you. Defensively, I think that they're going to be fine. But I just – I'm not sold on the Dolphins this year. I think that they're going to go through their fair share of struggles and they're not going to be the team that everybody's billing them to be. Whereas you look at the Jets – who have a statistically an easier season. I feel like they've also made some really solid moves in both free agency and especially in the draft where I think that they had a top three draft of this past year. All their top four guys I'm, I truly believe are going to be instant impact starters. And like I said, much lower expectations. Look at them, UT, the Jets on the schedule, you're not expecting too many big things out of them. And I think that if Zach Wilson can do enough, I think that they can mess around and go, what, eight and nine, maybe even nine and eight. Whereas you see the Dolphins go maybe eight and nine or seven and 10, and you consider that a disappointment. I could, I would buy that stock. I would 100% buy into that. All right, my last one, it's, it's, it's pretty bold, but I really believe that DeAndre Hopkins ends up getting traded. I know D-Hop is a bad, bad man. I know that when he was on the field last season, he was clearly Kyler Murray's favorite, this, that, and the third. However, you, we didn't even really talk about it, but he's going to be suspended the first six games of the season because of a sub uh, peds violation. Then we look back at the Arizona Cardinals trading for Marquise Brown, a player that uh, Kyler has had a lot of familiarity with. But they both played together at Oklahoma, have a good rapport. And then, more importantly, Kyler wants a big contract. Kyler is trying to get paid. And... We can debate all day if Kyler Murray deserves to be a $40 million quarterback, but the thing is, your money's going to have to come from somewhere. You're going to have to find money to trade to pay Kyler. And you look at Hollywood Brown, who I think is going to be pretty solid this year, might even in that six-game slot look like the best receiver on the field to where the Cardinals may look around and be like, do we really need D-Hop? Do we need to keep paying him $27 mil a year? And he's getting closer to the wrong side of 30, so... I would not be surprised if DeAndre Hopkins got traded. Don't ask me to who. Don't ask me when. But if and when he gets traded, y'all got to give me my flowers. All right, here's my number one bold prediction. That the Green Bay Packers will finish second to last in the NFC North. Ooh. It's okay. thing is that we, everyone's been on this whole bandwagon of even though they have Aaron Rodgers, they're going to figure something out. I don't think that's the case. Me and you talk off air. Unless they, you know, they 
my opinion, if they still try to run the whole entire offense through Aaron Rodgers with the weapons that they have, they're not going to breach that level of success. I think that you're going to see the Vikings, they're going to, even though they have a lot of question marks, I think they're going to be the winners of the division, and I think the, the Bears are going to sneak their way past the Packers this year. Dang. Yeah. I'm I'm more shocked with I'm more shocked with the Bears being second. Cause I don't think they're better than the Lions right now. They might not be, but I just don't see the Packers like hey, I don't it's been it's been so many years where you say like they got A Rod, they'll figure it out. I think this is gonna be the year where they're so depleted with weapons they just having A Rod isn't gonna be enough. Okay. I mean, the NFL is mad unpredictable and but I could I could see that being the case. Um like I said, I would switch Lions for Bears, but that would that would definitely get people talking. Who knows? Maybe if that's the case, we might see Jordan Love actually play. So, you know, maybe not be all bad for all the Packers there. But all right, let's go ahead and play our game of believable or buffoonery. We're talking quarterbacks and we're going to talk Tom Brady who it's, it's not funny, but it's funny. Retired for a month, got sick of spending time with his family, and said, no, nah, I'm just going to come back. And for how long, we don't know. But at least we know what Tom Brady is going to be doing next. It was announced uh, earlier this week that he signed a 10-year, $375 million deal to become the lead analyst for Fox when he inevitably retires from the game which fun fact is more than he's made in his playing career that 375 mil tops out his 33.232.9 million dollars he's made as a player while it's not surprising to see Tom Brady want to make the jump we've seen other uh, players do it for example Greg Olson Jonathan Vilma Tony Romo um uh, Drew Brees and my own personal fame favorite the Mannings with the Monday Night Football Manning cast but there are questions about how good Tom Brady can be Houston's Glow Bob Ryan talked about the deal and said if Fox wants to spend that money fine but unless there's a whole other side that Tom Brady hasn't shown the world he doesn't fit the profile of an entertaining analyst so believable or buffoonery Tom Brady is destined to be a great NFL analyst just like he was an NFL player because I'm going to say buffoonery. I'm going to say believable. And the reason being is because in the midst of like Tom Brady in his latter years, Tom Brady has shown that he has a side where he can be funny yeah. and have a brighter, a lighter side to things. Especially in recently with like his, his social media activity. Like he's had, like I don't I'm not subscribed to Tom Brady's TikTok by any means, but I've seen several clips of him on TikTok where it's like, okay, you know, that was kind of funny. And the thing of it is, the reason I think he can still be successful is because he's a quarterback, and he's the most successful quarterback in the history of the NFL. If you look at all of the um the predominant successful um player turned analysts, they're all quarterbacks. Tony Romo a quarterback, Peyton Manning, a quarterback, Eli Manning, a quarterback, that could be, he could be successful because he's going to have a different outlook than everyone else because he is a quarterback and he's the most winningest quarterback in the NFL. And people are just going to get drawn to seeing him just for that alone. 
True. Now, I will agree with you with the latter part. Like, since he's been in Tampa, like, I hated Tom Brady in New England. If this was – if we'd only seen New England Tom Brady and you told me he was going to be an analyst, I'm like, what is he going to talk about? What am, what am I going to see? But since he's been in Tampa, you could tell he's a lot more lighthearted. He's more fun. He's showing much more of his personality. So – I think that that personality will probably translate well to TV. And as you mentioned, I mean, he was had a terrific NFL career. So it's not a shock to assume that he's going to do some great things as well um, as an analyst. But I don't think it's signed, sealed, delivered. I don't think that as soon as he steps on, he's going to be great. I think it's probably going to take time for him to really get accustomed to it. I mean, everybody talks about how Tony Romo took to it like a fish in water. But I think Tom – I mean – Hell, who's to say Tom Brady will get back in the analyst booth, spend a few weeks there and be like, dang, I miss playing. Especially if he decides to retire maybe this year, the year after. So I'm just not totally sold that he's gonna be great, but I'm sure he'll be he'll be fine. There are much worse analysts that have have, have had a job. Continuing on with the quarterback, let's talk a rookie. For example, uh, Kenny Pickett, the only quarterback to be taken in the first two rounds of this past year's NFL draft, was taken by the Pittsburgh Steelers. And following the um, draft, the first round of the draft, Mike Tomlin was asked about Kenny Pickett's chances to be the week one starter. And he said he certainly has a chance. Looking at that quarterback room, he's also joined by Mason Rudolph and uh, Mitchell Trubisky. So, believable or buffoonery, Kenny Pickett will be the Steelers' week one starter. Mm, I'm gonna say before for now. That's fair. I'm gonna say believable. Um, I think Mitchell Trubisky is probably the man to beat for the job, but no offense, but it's Mitchell Trubisky, and it's not like they're like married to him. So I could see Kenny Pickett doing it. I mean, he's gonna have some nice weapons to get the ball out to, so it's not like he's gonna be asked to do entirely too much. Uh, continuing on with the conversation of rookie quarterbacks, Desmond Ritter, who, if I'm not mistaken, either him or Matt Corral were the first quarterback taken in the third round. And in his excitement of being by, drafted by the Falcons, he said, they're going to get everything out of me. They're going to get a Super Bowl out of me. I'm not leaving there until I get a Super Bowl. Ethan, I'm not going to waste your time asking if the Falcons are going to win a Super Bowl. So I'll, I'll lower the bar substantially. Believable or buffoonery, Desmond Ritter will start at some point of the season for the Falcons. Um, I'm going to say buffoonery because I think Marcus Mariota is still a really – he's not a great quarterback, but he's a really serviceable quarterback. And I think that he's going to be somebody that the, uh, the Falcons are going to be kind of pleased with having. I'm going to say believable. I think that with Marcus Mariota – Let's be honest, you've had Mariota. You saw him in Tennessee. He's not the most reliable in terms of injuries. He, it seems every year he somehow ends up getting hurt and misses time. So whether it be that reason that he sees the field or that, let's be honest, the Falcons really aren't going to be playing for too much. So let's say late in the season, like, you know what, screw it. Let's see what we got in Desmond Ritter. Because if Desmond Ritter plays well enough, maybe they don't devote an early um, an early draft pick on a quarterback next year. So I think he ends up seeing the field at some point. I mean, just if worse going to worse, just to see what they got in him. Because, I mean, you can't really totally see in just practices. You got to see him on the field in a real NFL game. So I think this will be the year that we end up seeing that. Uh, keeping things in the NFC South, 
Tyron Matthew kind of alluded to it earlier, signed with the New Orleans Saints in a move that I was very happy to see. It is a three-year, $33 million contract, including $18 million fully guaranteed. He is returning home to NOLA, which is great. And it's also got people really hyping up the Saints' defense, especially their defensive backfield. So, believable or buffoonery, the Saints have the best secondary in the league after signing Tyron Matthew. Um, I'm going to say believable. I think they have Marcus Lattimore, who's shown to be a, a um, capable corner. And when you add Tyron Matthews, you just add so many different variables and intangibles that you can't get with a lot of other guys. And I think that that's going to show dividends in the, in the, uh, throughout the season. I'm calling buffoonery. If you said best safeties, I would be like, okay, believable, because Chauncey Gardner-Johnson is very good. Um, they also signed Marcus May, who was really serviceable in New York, and then Tyron Matthew. Yes, I have questions about their cornerback group because you can't. I can't call somebody or say they have the best secondary if most people can't name their second corner. Like, Ethan, not to put you on the spot, but do you know who their second corner is? And it's okay if you don't. Okay, yeah. And so – it's exactly like no disrespect to Paulson Adebo, no disrespect to Alante Taylor, who they just drafted. But no, it's pretty much we know Marshawn Lattimore. We know he's great most of the time, especially when they play the Bucks. But other than that, no, I'm calling buffoonery. I think that not even being biased, but I would take a ra- healthy Raven secondary over anybody. Marshawn, I mean not Marshawn, uh, Marlon Humphrey coming back top at worst seven cornerbacks in this league. Marcus Peters, we know, is a ball hawk, one of the best to do it. He's going to be coming back. Marcus Williams, high-priced safety, who the New Orleans Saints know all about, uh, got a lot of picks throughout just his first five years of his career. Tuck Clark is an enforcer back there, and then you draft Kyle Hamilton to help add things up. So from top to bottom, I would personally go Baltimore, and that's, like I said, that's not me being biased. All right, last question for me. We talked about the Eagles quite a bit. A.J. Brown going there, had a solid draft, um, selecting Jordan Davis, a guy we both love. N'Kobe Dean also ends up there. They made some really solid moves. And Jalen Hurts knows that with all the pieces in tow, he he said, it's understood, it's my opportunity, it's my team. It's pretty clear that everybody knows that this is an audition year for him to prove that he's the quarterback of the future. So, in your opinion, believable or buffoonery, Jalen Hurts will lead the Eagles to an NFC East title. Um, I'm going to say believable. I think that he he has weapons there, and that's a big thing. And he also has an improved defense. I think the additions of Nicobe Dean and Jordan Davis are going to be pivotal because when everyone – when they lost Fletcher Cox, everyone was like, bro, what are you doing? Like, when they just let him go. And now that they have Jordan Davis, who looks like he could be a generational talent at DT, it makes sense. You also have a, a stout linebacker in the Kobe Dean. I think that they have the pieces in place. Because, honestly, in the NFC East, the only competition this season will be the Cowboys. Like the Commanders, they're going to be average. The Giants, they're going to be below average. The Cowboys are the only competition. And we all know 
told leads or told games, but they told games. So I think they can pull it out. Yeah, I'm saying believable as well. And you kind of talked about Fletcher Cox. They got him. I mean, they let him walk, but then brought him back for a one-year deal. So I'm not going to lie. Seeing him and uh, Jordan Davis along the same defensive line, that's going to be pretty impressive to watch. And that's also not even including uh, Javon Hargrave, another really solid interior uh, defensive lineman. So, and then you touched on it. I think the only real cop – Competition they have in this division right now is the Dallas Cowboys. And right now, the Cowboys don't look – I'm not going to say they don't look good, but I don't think that they're better than where they were a year ago. And so, because of that, I'm in agreement with you. I think it is believable that he can do it. Um, or, honestly, I could still see them winning the division in spite of him. I could see them doing it even without a crazy year from him. But in all in all, I think we – we agree that the Eagles can win this division. But, all right, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA. Ethan, it's been a pretty eventful week of basketball. What are your top three takeaways? Um, top three takeaways are, um, we kind of talked about it off air, but I definitely think the Philadelphia 76ers made the biggest, most regrettable decision by keeping Tobias Harris over Jimmy Butler, and they, they showed this, this playoff series the Dallas Mavericks, they did the inevitable. They wanted to finish. They not even wanted to finish. I'm sorry, but they wanted to this series, the series that a lot of people thought was going to be a tough series, but they made it competitive. They made they took it to a game seven. And um, for the the series I'm most invested in, Steph, don't talk, don't talk crap, like. I understand you, you're a vet, you're an NBA champion, but you're not that type of person where it's like you talk trash and you honestly didn't back it up. And as far as I have a grievance with Draymond that we could probably talk about a little bit later, but yeah. I feel you. Um, <laughs> don't, it, it's funny, especially coming into the game, like don't come in and try to steal our slogan or the Grizzly slogan. And then end up getting whooped because that's precisely what happened. So it was poetic justice. Um, but all right, yeah, let's go ahead and move on to our Mambas of the Week. Starting out the Eastern Conference, you just said his name, and I'm echoing that sentiment. Jimmy Butler played this past series against the 76ers like he wanted them to regret letting him walk. In the elimination game last night, dropped 32-8-4 and against them. Um well, a couple nights ago, he dropped 40 against them in the game that they may have lost, but he had literally put the team on the back game before 33. I mean, just offensively, anything the team had needed, he was there for him and pretty much sent him packing because, like you said, they really chose Tobias Harris over him. So it's definitely Jimmy Buckets for me. Uh, for me, my mama of the week is Giannis Antetokounmpo, a.k.a. Go Giannis. Um, in the game that Coming off the game where he's received a lot of flag for the fact that Al Hofer kind of locked him up to close out the game, and he gave him buckets. He responded in the way that a mama responds. He had four, he drops forty, and they took the lead. And I think that now they're going to close out this series. It's definitely going to be interesting to watch. All right, let's go ahead to the Western Conference. For me, my mama is Luka Doncic. Um, we talked about early in the season, a lot of other analysts were looking at it like, 
can Luca get it done? Because we know it's the Luca show. Jalen Brunson had had games where he wasn't really stepping up, same for Hardaway and then Witty. And um, I think it's pretty safe to say that Luca can do it. Last night dropped had a double double, dropped thirty three and eleven. Almost had a couple of triple doubles already this season. I mean. He's been going back and forth with the Suns, who one could argue definitely has the better team, but right now Luka's looking like the better star in the series. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you as well. With um, Luka, he showed up major this series, and it's funny how he even had one of those moments where he was saying, like, it's easy to talk trash when you're up. Yeah. And he backed up his talk. Yeah. And did so, like like I said, last night. So, yeah, no, those are Mambas of the Week. So, let's look at the current uh, playoff picture. Starting off with the Miami Heat defeating the Phoenix – I mean, not Phoenix, the Philadelphia 76ers in six. You and I had talked about it. We figured just based off the first couple of games – it wasn't it wasn't looking good for the 76ers and it winded up not being with the Sixers season o- over both teams were pretty vocal about it for example uh Jimmy Butler discussed his love for Joel Embiid and said I love him I'm proud of him yes yes I wish still wish I was on his team I definitely love the Miami Heat though I'm glad that I'm here but I've got so much love and respect for Joel Embiid the F- the sentiments were echoed by Embiid who said I still don't know how we let him go and Jimmy Butler still seems to be asking himself that same question as we all saw that viral clip of him uh, repeatedly yelling, Tobias Harris over me, which sounds ludicrous to think of now. But, I mean, it can't be all that bad, right? Question mark, because they got James Harden, who coincidentally in the second half of game six only took two shots, which sounds really reminiscent of... Ben Simmons in their last season's playoff run. So right now, just how did the 76ers recover from this series? I mean, this was a year where they had a lot of hype. Um, when they got James Harden, everybody was thinking this could be a potential Eastern Conference Finals, maybe even Finals teams. And it's just been it's been disappointment year in and year out. So, Ethan, what, what can the 76ers do to stop being this disappointing team? Um, I think they might have to first initially look at the head coach because I hate to say it, but Doc Rivers is probably the most highly regarded coach just for winning one NBA championship. That's a fact. Of the NBA. That is a fact. Um, and with that being said, I think that he he I, he gets some um praise for bringing out the best in Joel. But he also has been notoriously known for making bad coaching decisions. And I think he made a lot of bad ones during this series. So start off with replacing Doc. And then you're going to have to figure out the rest of their roster. Because one of the things that happened in the Joe on James Harden trade is you actually traded away all of your depth. You traded away some really competent pieces. I think that you could have, um, you really could have, Built their roster around Janet on Tyrese Maxey and Joel Embiid and had those complimentary pieces, and you would have been better off because Tyrese Maxey showed throughout this playoffs that he was there for it. Right. It wasn't him. It wasn't Joel. It kind of 
you could you could take blame, play some blame on Joel because you thought you could have played better. But Joel and B played hurt throughout the whole series. You thought right. he had a concussion. He had to have um, thumb surgery. He had to wear that mask because of a broken orbital bone. Um, so I think they're going to have to make some other roster decisions. Are you willing to keep James Harden after this? Because you know, I think he's going to be due well for a major extension right. come this, come this offseason. Which kind of leads me to my next question. I believe the extension, I know it's somewhere between 40 and 60 mil. Either or is way too much for me with regards to paying James Harden. But do you think the 76ers can afford to not keep him? Like, because just looking at it from a PR standpoint, from, you know, trial by media, as a player, we know. I mean, Joel Embiid said it. He's like, he's not the same player that he was in Houston. He's more of a playmaker, which some people took it as a shot. But, I mean, it's the truth. He's not putting up the points that he was before. And so – that from that player standpoint, you know you're not getting the uber aggressive offensive score that was there in the past. But also, let's say you do let him walk. I know everybody's getting on the Nets and Ben Simmons or whatever, but wouldn't it be wor- worse of a look if you don't bring him back than if let's say it was a Ben Simmons situation he ended up not playing? So from the 76ers, like what what would you do with James Harden? in agreement with you I think I wouldn't be I would I would try to trade him but I think because of the contract or at least the extension he could possibly get that may put some people off but yeah I just I don't see it working with him in Philly like I think that they'll be like James Harden has been for the rest of her like a regular season monster he's gonna he's gonna put up some nice games but like you mentioned if you can't do it when the lights are the brightest what what is your what is your value truly and we still don't know that but right, let's go ahead and move on to the other series taking place in the eastern conference as you mentioned earlier the bucks are up three two on the boston celtics it's been a very entertaining back and forth season uh series night in no game has it been the same winner twice and i mean the bucks are coming off the game five victory and unless they want to break that trend who knows maybe the celtics could push it to seven i know you say you think the bucks clo- clean it uh close it out tonight but what do you think it's going to take for the celtics to get the bucks 
to uh, push it, push the series? I think it's going to take tremendous defense initially on Giannis. I think it's going to take another one of those great defensive efforts from, like, a Grant Williams. It's also going to take Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown having two monster games. Jalen Brown has had some really bad games during this series, and it's affected them um, greatly. But I think he's also a guy that can bounce back. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that when, like you said, when your back's against the wall, you're looking at your best players to step up. And other times, I mean, we've seen them be able to do it. And I think that this would really be the opportunity for Jalen Brown to kind of right the wrongs of some past mistakes he's made in this series. And same for Jason Tatum. I mean, Jason Tatum has really tried to put the team on his back to push them. And, I mean, in some games he's definitely done that. But I think that they're going to need their best overall team performance this um, this upcoming game. And, I mean, they got to do what made them great to begin with, and that's play terrific defense, which I know is asking a lot to do against Giannis, who I think we could probably both agree is one of, if not the most dominant player in the league today. But defense has got to get them there. All right, let's look at the Western Conference. Um, the series between the Phoenix Suns and Dallas Mavericks is all knotted up at three games apiece. And uh, it's, it's, getting, it's getting pretty tight. I still think the Suns are able to pull it off, question mark. But it would not totally surprise me if Luka really helped shock the world and got them over, got them over. But in your opinion, who, who do you think wins game seven? Uh, I think Phoenix wins it. The reason being is Luka is amazing. But I think that this is one of those moments where you're going to see Chris Paul pay dividends. Right. Like he's healthy. He's been in moments. He's been the best player on the court. And granted, Luka is amazing, but I think Chris Paul is the guy that's going to help close that out. Yeah, I feel you. And I think when you look at Chris Paul, not to mention is that, you know, there's been times when he's been the best player, but he's also pissed off. Like, the thing that happened with his family and the Mavericks, like, I'm sure he doesn't want them to have any success. He does not want them to be happy. He wants to show them and kind of give a F you to the fans, which is totally fair. And I think that because – Kind of like we mentioned with Jalen Brown, but he's had games where he has not looked his best, and I think that this would be a great way to cap off and show, no, I'm still I'm still that guy. Talking about being that guy, the Grizzlies have been without their guy, uh, John Morant, for the past couple of games, unfortunately, um, suffering a bone bruise. It's looking doubtful that he returns, which, of course, sucks because you want to see John on the court, but... If these last two games are any indication, it's shown that the Grizzlies can still hang with the Warriors. Game four, they lost by three. But, I mean, Ja didn't play, and it was a much more competitive game than a lot of people would have thought. Not to mention, I believe they were up at halftime without Ja. Actually, I know they were up at halftime. Then looking at game five, blows out the Golden State Warriors, 134-95. to They need a win tonight to keep the series alive. So, without Ja... Do you think that the Grizzlies can really make a push for that Western Conference final spot? Yes, my I'm saying it for real. I could believe it. I think that what people don't understand is or they like to forget is when Ja didn't play this regular season, the team still won what like 20 some games? 
Like, they had a very impressive record without Ja on the court, and which made people be like, oh, maybe the team is better without Ja, which is BS. But it also just shows, A, how good of a coach Taylor Jenkins is, and B, how this team works as a cohesive unit. Yeah, they may not have a lot of guys who are household names, but when they get on the court together, their chemistry is palpable, and it helps lead to victories, which we have seen against the Warriors who are a team that also have a lot of great chemistry and have that star power but it does it does not really seem to matter but you kind of you kind of touched on Draymond Green who's let's be honest it's kind of full of crap but what what were your thoughts earlier about you know his comments about joining on the whoop that trick and you can say what you want when you're ahead and all this other stuff my thoughts are that's the pot calling the kettle black right when the when the Warriors were at the peak of their powers and they were the best team in the NBA, they were the biggest front-running team in the history of the NBA. You didn't see, you did, you never saw Steph Curry shooting the turnaround threes when they were down. You saw him shooting the turnaround threes when they were making a huge run and they were running off on a punt. Draymond, you you're known as a trash talker. It's videos of you talking trash to people when you're up and not when you're down. So. Yeah, bro, this bogus. I feel you. And, I mean, on top of that, you just see the type of player that Draymond Green is. He talks trash all the time, like you mentioned, when he's up. Because, like, his reaction to, you know, the whoop that trick or whatever at the end of the game was cool. But let's be honest. Let's say the series was different. Let's say the Grizzlies were up 3-2. to two. He would not be laughing. He would not be singing along. That man would be pissed off. So, yeah, no, I'm in a total agreement with you. It is the pot calling the kettle because, in truth, had the tables been reversed or they were with their backs against the wall? Yeah, no. So, I'm hoping you write Grizz in seven. Um, but in a pretty cool move by the NBA, they announced that the uh, Eastern Conference, there will be a new Eastern Conference final and Western Conference final MVP and set awards will be named after Boston Celtics great Larry Bird and Magic Johnson of Los Angeles Lakers fame. Um, the M- in a statement, the NBA said Larry Bird and Irvin Magic Johnson helped define the modern NBA with their individual brilliance and team success in the 1980s. The two NBA legends are honored as the namesakes for the trophies and will now be awarded each year to Eastern and Western Conference Finals MVPs. So let's let's play a little bit of a prediction game. So you said that. You feel like the Bucks end up closing it out to make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. So it'll be the Miami Heat versus the Milwaukee Bucks. I'm I'm inclined to agree. I think this I think between the two, I think the Boston Celtics could make a push, but I think that Giannis is Giannis is hungry for another ring, and I think that it's gonna take a whole hell of a lot for the Celtics to be able to stop him. So who's gonna be the inaugural inaugural Larry Bird trophy winner out of the Eastern Conference? Giannis. Yeah. I didn't want to go Giannis because that's too easy, but it's like it was pretty much gonna be Giannis or Jimmy. And I I I think right now I would go I'd go Giannis as well. All right, Western Conference. We both said we think the Suns pull it out and we're gonna we're gonna bang the drum for the Grizzlies. So who's gonna be the Irvin Magic Johnson trophy winner? Devin Booker. Yeah. I think so too. I think that with if Ja can't come back, I think that they'll still be competitive, but I think the Suns end up pulling it out and I think that still ends up, you know, being Devin Booker's award. 
All right, so sounds like we're getting a rematch of last year's finals. But all right, let's go ahead and look at some already players who have won awards. Shout out to Tyler Harrow. We both kind of predicted it. Uh, we said that we feel like he's going to be the sixth man of the year, and he was given that title. Um, And Shaq, who, as we all know, is a fan of Harrow, said that Tyler needs to be in the same conversation as Luka Doncic and Trey Young. I know we're both gonna say no, but believable or buffoonery. Does Tyler Harrell deserve more respect among when we talk about the great young players in the league? No, he's rightfully where he is because he isn't the star of their team. He's a great piece. He's a he's a great offensive scorer, and he comes out, but he's the sixth man. It's different. Like you can't compare him to Luca because Luca is that guy. Right. Trey Young is that guy. So, yeah, I feel you on that. All right. Um, let's talk about Joel Embiid, though. For the second straight year, he was beat out by Nikola Jokic for MVP. And he was asked by in the media, he said, truthfully, I don't know what else I have to do to win it at this point. It's whatever. Um, he congratulated Nikola and said he deserved it. He had an amazing season. There's no right or wrong. There were a lot of candidates. Now, in the opinion of Charles Barkley, who, of course, always has opinions, he said, Joel was so distracted by this MVP stuff, he came out with no energy, and the rest of the team followed. So, in your opinion, Ethan, do you think that this was Joel Embiid's last real shot at being MVP? Not to say he won't be a terrific player, but always the bridesmaid. Do you think that he won't? Do you think this was his last gasp at the award? No. I, it sounds bad, but I think I'm going to say yes. Not like, like I said, like, I think that Joel is still going to ball out. I don't think that there's, let, let's not, let's not, you know, say that he's not going to be great. But I just think that in terms of getting that national attention, it's like, after a while, it's just, like he said, what does he have to do? Like, Nikola Jokic went off. He was great. I mean, you take him off the Denver Nuggets and you're not getting you're not getting a winning team. But the same could definitely be said for the 76ers. I think that with um, had James Harden not come, I think that Joel probably would have won it. But I think that voters when people were looking at the team like, well, at least they had James Harden, so he had more help. But come to find out, we saw how the 76ers performed when Joel wasn't on the court. James Harden is not the same guy that he was billed to be or the superstar that he was where he could push a team alone. And so because of that, I just – I don't think it's going to happen, which sucks because I think he's he's deserved it. I think he – it's hard to say he got robbed because I also believe that Nikola uh, Jokic was deserving, but I, I think he should have gotten it. All right, let's go ahead and look at some uh, NBA head coaching vacancies because there are still a few out there. Um, but not for the Sacramento Kings. After their experiment with Luke Walton did not work out, it was announced earlier this week that Mike Brown – uh, former, well, current assistant for the Golden State Warriors and a three-time champion, as well as a 2003 Coach of the Year, has signed a four-year deal to be their next head coach. I like Mike Brown a lot, but I still think that the Kings have quite a lot of work to do. Um, so let's just, just let's just say something fun. Swipe against trade this year, yes or no? 
I, I could see that. I at least I don't think he gets traded this offseason. I think that it's weird because I don't want to say like committed to a rebuild because the Kings have been rebuilding for the past 15 years. But it's like if they really want to start from scratch, I think trading a swipe would be the way to go. But I think when you bring in Mike Brown, you're kind of hoping that you you can go for a bit of a push. And so because of that, I think that they'll end up keeping them at least at least for a little bit. But uh, other solid jobs are also available. The Charlotte Hornets are still looking, as well as the Los Angeles Lakers, who Shaq has been banging the drum for Mark Jackson to take that Lakers spot. He said Mark Jackson helped build Golden State before Steve Kerr took it to the next level. He made it a very sexy brand to watch, so I'm sure he can do the same with LeBron and Russell Westbrook. So are you in agreement that Mark Jackson will be a good fit for the Lakers? Because I would say so. I think he would. Um, I mean, he's used to coaching big personalities. He's used to having success. And, I mean, it's still a wonder to me that he hasn't had a job in, what, five, six years? Because, I mean, even when he got fired by the Warriors, it was a shock because he was helping to get them success. And I don't know if I'd necessarily say that Steve Kerr helped take them to the next level, but Mark Jackson definitely built that foundation. But, all right, let's go ahead and play a game of believable or buffoonery so talking about awesome coaches Phil Jackson one of the greatest to ever do it has apparently been helping out the Los Angeles Lakers during their head coaching search and according to the LA Times um seemingly believes that he would that the Lakers would be better off trading LeBron and instead keeping Russell Westbrook and trying to make things work with him I think Phil Jackson is a terrific basketball mind but in terms of if the Lakers will be better off trading LeBron and keeping Westbrook, I'm calling buffoonery. Yeah, I don't even have to go in context about it. This, this buffoonery. Yeah, I think it's buffoonery. Um, in the long and short of it, I love Russell Westbrook, but he shouldn't have been on the team in the first place. LeBron James, I mean, I understand he's getting older, but, I mean, he's your best player by a wide margin. So, it, no, that don't make sense. Uh, next up, let's kind of look at free agency a bit, where Zach Levine, guard for the Chicago Bulls, has said that with free agency, he's going to keep an open mind, and he possibly would be open to re-signing with the Bulls, but he's going to make the best business decision for him. So, believable or buffoonery, Zach Levine will be wearing a different jersey come the start of next season. I think it's believable. I think that he, he, um, he um he seemed that he can even though they had great success, I think that he could go he seems he can go to another team and have even better success, i.e. a team like the Lakers. Oh, Who knows? Please. I would love him with the Lakers. Uh yeah, I'm saying believable as well for everything you said. Uh next up, Colin Sexton, another guard who this past season missed most of the year due to injuries, but he's kinda had an up and down time since being a member with the Cleveland Cavaliers, who had a lot of success without him on the court. However, he said with upcoming free agency, I want to be here in Cleveland. Believable or buffoonery, uh Colin Sexton will remain in as a Cavalier. I'm calling buffoonery because, like I mentioned, they had a lot of success without him. It actually looked better when he was not on the court. Plus, I don't think they're going to want to pay him too much, so I'm, I'm, I think they let him walk. Yeah, I'm calling buffoonery as well. Um, even before this season started. We thought he was going to move. Yeah, we thought he was going to be gone. I think the reason he wasn't 
traded this season is because he got hurt. Yeah. I'm in total agreement with you there. Speaking of trades, uh, D'Angelo Russell is a popular name in the trade market as it seems that the Timberwolves are expected to pursue a trade for D'Lo. So, believable or buffoonery, D'Angelo is going to be traded this offseason. I think he will be. I think that the Timberwolves, one of the things that they learned in the course of this playoff series is that they have too many mouths to feed. Yeah. And, yeah, like, the whole, like, D'Lo isn't necessarily a, he's a great second option, but when you have a team that has a talent like Ant, and then you also have, in my opinion, the true second option in Cat. You have to build around those two. And I think that it was moments in the playoffs against the Grizzlies where they performed better with D'Angelo Russell off the court. So I think they're going to move. Yeah, I I agree with you on that one. Um, So just a little added piece, where do you think he ends up? Or where would you think would be a nice fit for D'Lo if he is traded? Um, Maybe the Pacers. That's a strong maybe, but I think D'Angelo, he does better with, like, teams where he isn't, he he doesn't have that many distractions. And I think in Minnesota, granted, they don't have that many distractions there, but he had his quote-unquote best friend in Cat. So I think he needs to be in a situation where he kind of can just focus on playing ball and go from there. So I can see some place like, Indy or a smaller market team picking them up. I would say, um, I would say Utah if they actually do trade uh, Donovan Mitchell. Emphasis on if they trade him. All right, and then last piece, <laughs> Rudy Gobert, multiple time Defensive Player of the Year, very confident in his abilities. Um, he 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 genuinely feels like he would lock up Shaq. Um, Shaq kind of talked about him a bit on his uh, podcast where he mentioned, uh, I believe Rudy or a fan said that he would be held to 12 points against Rudy to say 12 points, yeah, in the first three minutes. And Rudy Gobert responded via Instagram and said, I would lock his ass up. So this isn't even a believable or buffoonery. Prime Shaq <laughs> versus Rudy Gobert. I don't, I, I, you know, I'm not going to say he's in his prime now, but let's say prime defender Rudy Gobert. How many points does Shaq put up? 30, 30 plus. Yeah, I was going to say 35. I just, I don't think that. Rudy is good, but Shaq is arguably the most dominant player the NBA has ever seen. I don't think, I don't think Rudy will be able to do anything with him. This is the thing. Rudy is a great help defender. Right. He isn't a great one-on-one post defender. You can look to last year, I remember it specifically. Joel Embiid drops 41 points primarily on Rudy Gobert, and he put him in the basket numerous of times. Joel Embiid is, the, in my opinion, the whole most dominant player in today's NBA league, Giannis. And he's nowhere near as dominant as Shaq. No, so, no. Yeah, no, not even close. But, all right, let's go ahead and talk WrestleMania Backlash. Now, before I kick off my WrestleMania Backlash uh recap i just want to say i do apologize in advance for sounding so nasally allergy season is kicking my young gifted and black behind without further ado though here's what happened at wrestlemania 
backlash. Um, Cody Rhodes once again takes down Seth Rollins, but not without a grip of the tights. With the help of MVP, almost evens things up against Bobby Lashley. AJ Styles cannot escape the gallows of Judgment Day, leading to another loss to Edge. Ronda wins, which, meh, but whatever. Uh, Mad Cat Moss gets the W in a match. I'll admit, I hardly watched. And finally, I have to pay some penance after Roman Reigns hits Matt Riddle with the spear to save his cousins and get the victory for the bloodline. For those of you who do not remember, I picked RK Bro and Drew McIntyre. So, like I said, I got some penance to pay. Um... And thus, that actually played a role in me going three for three on the night. Um, not totally surprised that Edge won again, especially with Rhea coming. Now, had he won clean, I would have been more surprised. But with how they did it, made sense. Ronda, I figured she was going to win, but I just don't want to pick Ronda for anything. And then, yeah, so bloodline. Shout out to him. Uh, my favorite match, mentioning the bloodline, was their match against RK Bro and Drew McIntyre. I mean... For those of you who've been listening for a while and you've heard me talk about wrestling, um, tag team wrestling is not something that I like am absolutely in love with, but when it's done well, it's it's some of the best some of the best matches on the card. And in my opinion, I feel like that was the case um this past Sunday. I mean, when you get six talented guys in the same ring like you did on, you know, in the main event, you're gonna get a great match, and thus that's exactly what it was. Um, my favorite moment. Rhea Ripley officially joining Judgment Day. Why? Because this means that in the future, I don't know how long it's going to be. Maybe SummerSlam, question mark. But we're going to get Judgment Day slash heel Rhea Ripley versus Bianca Belair. And I'm so excited. I love Bianca Belair. Everybody knows I love me some Bianca Belair. I think she is the bomb.com. She is black excellence personified. And I want only the best things in this crazy thing called life for her. But y'all also know that I love me a good heel. And I think heel Rhea Ripley can be a bad mofo with Judgment Day. And I can't wait for that match because I've just been waiting for a straight up title match between Rhea Ripley and Bianca Belair since their days of NXT, mainly because I wanted Bianca to win and she didn't on two separate occasions, which really pissed me off. Not the point. But now the tables are kind of crossed. Like of any, there's nobody else on Raw I want to see take the the title off of Bianca besides Rhea Ripley because I feel like Rhea Ripley is going to be such a great champion when they allow her to be used properly so yeah that's well, that was my favorite moment and thus Rhea Ripley increased stock for the little tangent that I just went on uh decreased stock really I didn't really have many options I thought everybody pretty much played their role and did things fine but I'll just say Drew McIntyre is a tag team competitor because we all know him as a singles competitor and you know one could say that his loss this past Sunday plays into that even though nobody's really cares in the grand scheme of things i mean drew mcintyre drew mcintyre is gonna be fine um my one booking decision in truth i really didn't have anything i change um 
from a purely, you know, biased perspective, of course, I'd like Ronda to lose. But, I mean, I understand why they're doing it. Plus, it's going to allow uh, Charlotte to get some time off so she can go ahead and get married to Andrade. So, congratulations to them. That's some really beautiful stuff. Love to see people happy and in love. Um, but, yeah, other than that, I mean, overall, I feel like all of the finishes were pretty made the most sense. And, um, yeah, I mean... Backlash isn't supposed to be like some groundbreaking pay-per-view, guys. I mean, it's just supposed to, like, be the kind of, you know, the last gasp of Mania. Kind of, you know, you know, because WrestleMania is like, quote-unquote, the end of the wrestling year. And so I, I kind of look at Backlash as the... When you start a new show or you get to a new episode, say, previously on blah, 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 this is what Backlash feels like to me. So, yeah, it did its job. Um, my WTF moment... Uh, probably Cody grabbing the tights. Like, I figured he was going to win. Um, I just wasn't sure how, whether it be Seth loses his cool and, uh, loses by DQ or something. I thought it'd be more so that vain, but I mean, it also did make sense to have Cody, you know, grab the tights because then, you know, Seth, as if you watch Raw, can still, um, bang the drum about you didn't really beat me or you're scared of me or I'm better than you and blah, blah, blah. So I'm interested to see how that shakes out. But at the time it was, it was kind of surprising. And my show grade, give it a solid B minus. I mean, didn't really have high expectations for you know, backlash, and I mean, it, it did its job, like I said, I mean, it was a nice little recap, and now we're going to move on to bigger and better things, hopefully, and um, I'm excited to see where it takes us, but that is our show, thank you guys so much for listening, as always, please should check out the xreport.net RP, the xreport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours, truly and fellow xreport writers, previous episodes are our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report, like, um, I know I hyped it up a lot during the NFL segment, but for my draft fans, please be sure to head over to the export.net. Check out my 2022 NFL draft recap. Got every draft, every team's draft class, all the picks, all 262 of them. I give them analysis for each class, give my draft, my draft grades, who was my favorite pick each team made, all that good stuff that I can't totally get into in the hour, hour and a half we have to record this podcast so for more in-depth thoughts go ahead and check that out for me but yeah that's our show um i know ethan's not on this part but of course he would say go grizz and you know my lakers are out of it so i'm saying go grizz too um and yeah jimmy buckets is a bad bad man so i'm excited to see what he's doing out in the east but thank you guys so much for listening and we'll see you all next time